Well, I do want to get right back into that, but I was thinking there are other examples of ministry besides Paul, and one who came to mind, because I was remembering a specific thing, is the man John Wesley. And you say, well, he's an Arminian. He doesn't even have the gospel right. That's true. His dear friend George Whitfield was a Calvinist, and he didn't have the gospel right. That's true. If they were consistent with their theology, we wouldn't like them. But they led thousands and thousands of people, regular, ordinary people of the fields and of the coal mines, to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. They were not consistent with their bad theology. They loved to win souls. I wanted to read just a little bit from this the abridged journal of John Wesley. The journal of John Wesley, this recounts when he himself trusted the Savior. He had been a missionary to America and failed and come back before he was saved. You need to think about that. But he went to a Bible study one evening where they were talking about Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans, and he was listening to somebody read Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans, and he said, about quarter before nine, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That's a good testimony. He took away my sins. Later on, because he would not take the license from the Church of England, he was a minister, but without a church, without an assigned parish, he decided to start preaching everywhere. He said this, I look upon all the world as my parish. Thus far I mean that in whatever part of it I am, I judge it meet, right, and my bounden duty to declare unto all that are willing to hear the glad tidings of salvations. This is the work which I know God has called me to, and I am sure that his blessing attends it. He wanted to share the gospel no matter where he was, not just in some assigned church meeting. And then this is the passage I was hunting for that came to mind, and I've, I've tried to quote it poorly before, but I wanted to read it directly for you. This is on June 8th, somewhere in the years 1740 to 1742, somewhere in England. For these two days, I had made an experiment which I had been so often and earnestly pressed to do, speaking to none concerning the things of God unless my heart was free to it. And what was the event? Why, first, that I spoke to none at all for fourscore miles together, 80 miles. <laughs> no, not even to him that traveled with me in the chase unless a few words at first setting out. Second, that I had no cross either to bear or to take up, and commonly in an hour or two I fell fast asleep. Third, that I had much respect shown me wherever I came, everyone behaving to me as to a civil, good-natured gentleman. Oh, how pleasing is all this to flesh and blood, Need you compass land and sea to make proselytes to this? Many times, Wesley in his journal 
recounts that where he went and started to preach or identified himself, he was met with things thrown at him. And here he said, I did this and everybody treated me great. And I didn't do a bit of good. I didn't speak to anybody. So we're not the only ones who've ever gone out feeling like it would be good and pleasing to God that we open our mouths and share the gospel or give a tract, open the door to help somebody understand the gift of salvation. Paul did it. John Wesley did it. Many have done it before, and we should. Well, as we pick up here, again in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, talking about the ministry, he's saying let's not give offense in anything, in all things approving ourselves. And he starts off with good things, patience, and then he says afflictions and necessities. We talked about those last week. And then it comes to distresses. Distresses is not a, not a very pleasant idea. Distresses means tight places. Tight places. Let's look over it at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, if you use in a Schofield Bible, it's page 1268. First letter to the Thessalonians, the third chapter, you remember he started this church with just a few weeks of ministry there, and then he wrote to them because he was concerned how they would do under the pressure of affliction and persecution. And now he's writing to them because Timothy had been sent to them from Athens, where Paul was, and he came back to Athens to tell Paul. And so in verse 6 he says, When Timothy came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and your love, and that you have good remembrance of us always, you don't forget to pray for us, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you, wherefore, brethren, we were comforted over you, comforted in all our affliction and distress by your faith. The affliction, that's real. The distress, it's real. It's a tight place. You're going to face it too. He says in verse 8, Now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. Paul lived his own life, but he says, even if I get killed or even if I get stuck in a corner in a jail cell where I only get to talk to the guards... As long as you guys are standing up and speaking for the Lord, I'm living. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. <clears throat> Distresses are also mentioned in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 at the end of the chapter, page 1202. Wonderful passage. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Oh, it's written in the Old Testament, For thy sake we're killed all the day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, including the distresses, we are more than conqueror through him that loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Back in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, after distresses, we come to stripes, Stripes? We don't have much to do with stripes these days. A hundred years ago, children in school understood stripes because they got themselves a, a switch, and it would be applied vigorously to the appropriate place. I know. <laughs> Never mind. Not often. I was a good boy. But Paul, 
in his days, stripes were a normal manner of public punishment, corporal punishment by being beaten was done in the Roman world and in the Jewish world. They had so much of it going on that they had a law that said if you beat somebody indiscriminately and he dies, that's murder. But if you beat him less than 40 times, well, die or not, that, that was a reasonable amount, 40 times. And Paul makes reference to that. He says, 40 stripes save one. They did it one less just in case he happened to die so they wouldn't be made guilty of murder. Stripes, Acts 16, verse 23. Where are we in Acts chapter 16? We're in Philippi. It's Roman world. It's a Roman colony. The people born in Philippi are Roman citizens because it's a colony. So they were protected, by the general population that was born there was protected. A foreigner who's not a Roman citizen would not be protected by that Roman law. But they said about Paul and Silas, they drew them into the marketplace to the rulers and said, these men, they're Jews, and they spit like people do, do exceedingly trouble our city teaching customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, because we're Romans. They didn't realize Paul also was a Roman. He didn't say anything. Teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. I don't think the magistrates rent off their own clothes. I think they tore the clothes off the prisoners and beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they may well have exceeded the 30, 39. They cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. They clamped them down, locked the clamps, and they're in a hole in the ground, in a deeper hole in the hole in the ground. That's a miserable situation, so what did they do? Why, they pouted. No, they didn't say that. They said they prayed and sang praises unto God. They're down in the deepest hole in the prison in Philippi, and they're praying aloud and singing praises to God. And the prisoners are going, hey, good tune, and the jailer can hear them too. And then they were all released. That's imprisonment. That's stripes, really. It's 40... Many stripes, it says they beat them in many, with many, many stripes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll skip over to chapter 11 for a second, Paul tells a lot more about his glorious, victorious Christian life in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 23, he says, Are those guys, those people that oppose me, are they ministers of Christ? I'm talking like a fool. <laughs> I am more. Every time he bragged, he's had to say, I'm talking like a fool. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. I've died more times than anybody else has. <laughs> of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. From the Jews, let alone the Philippians, that was not Jews. Three times, thrice, I was beaten with rods. He's not drag racers now. I was beaten with a big stick. Once I was stoned. 
He did not use hallucinogenic substances. He was buried in a pile of rocks that they threw at him to kill him. He was executed by stoning. He talks about it in the next chapter. Three times I suffered a shipwreck. We only know about one of those. A night and a day have I been in the deep. What's that? After a shipwreck, where are you? Out in the water. And he was in the water floating a day and a night, a night and a day. In journeyings, well, there's perils of waters and perils of robbers and perils of my countrymen and perils by the heathen and perils in the city and perils in the wilderness and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren in weariness and painfulness. I was kept awake, watchings often in hunger and thirst, fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and then this other stuff that comes on me daily taking care, praying for, caring for all of the churches. (laughs) He says, if I have to glory, I'll glory in the things which concern my infirmities, and God knows I'm not lying. Stripes, imprisonments, we just read about them there in 2 Corinthians. You know that that's part of it in, in Acts chapter 16, where we were a moment ago. In Acts chapter 21, Get there quicker this way. Acts 21. And Acts chapter 21. There's a prophecy given to Paul. He's headed for Jerusalem. And he stops in the town of Caesarea and went into the house of Philip. That's the Philip who was one of the deacons. Philip the evangelist who evangelized Samaria, who evangelized the Ethiopian eunuch in the desert. This is where he lived now, Caesarea. He's one of the seven deacons and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And they tarried there many days. There came down from Judea, another prophet. Why do you say down? Caesarea's up here, Judea's down. Because it's downhill. They just talked about always going up to Jerusalem. There came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come to us, he took Paul's girdle, his belt, and bound his own hands and feet. He tied himself up hand and foot and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. Oh, we don't get that very often. Thus saith the Holy Ghost. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of of the Gentiles in the next chapter, in chapter 22, verse 24, Paul went to Jerusalem anyway, (laughs) and he's telling them the story about how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and how he was saved, and he said, Get out of Jerusalem, they'll not receive thy testimony. And he said, well, they know I I imprisoned and beat everyone that believed in thee. And I stood by Stephen and, and was consenting. And he said, Jesus said, depart hence, for I will send thee far to the Gentiles. And they got quiet until then, this Jewish mob that had surrounded him. They gave him audience until this word. What word? Gentiles. They heard Gentiles, and they said, "Ah!" lifted up their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. They want to kill him right then, right there. It's not fit that he should live. 
Is there any question what they wanted? And they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air. And the Roman guard captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and said, let's examine him by scourging. We're going to do some beating on him so that he'll tell us the truth. It was worse than waterboarding, that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the uh, other officer, the centurion that stood by, eh, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that's a Roman and uncondemned? <laughs> this time he did speak up. And when he said that, the centurion stopped tying him up. <laughs> He went and told the chief captain, saying, um, Take heed what thou doest. This man is a Roman. <laughs> Ooh. And so he stopped tying him up and decided to talk to him instead. In the next chapter of the book of Acts, in chapter 23, down in verse 35, still going down, down. The governor read the letter in Caesarea, the soldiers brought him to Caesarea, brought Paul and a letter from the guy in Jerusalem who said that his Jews are going to try to kill him. He said, what province is he of? And he said, he's from Cilicia. That's where Tarsus was. And he said, well, okay, that's Rome. I will hear thee when your accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. That was not a resort. That was a prison, local jail. Chapter 24, he's still in the jailhouse now. In the jailhouse now. Chapter 24, verse 27. After certain days, Felix came and his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and heard him about the faith in Christ. And he, Paul, reasoned with Felix of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. I think he shared the gospel with him. When Paul talked about righteousness, he wasn't saying, you better be good. He was saying, you're not good enough. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Temperance, self-control, and judgment to come. Felix trembled and said, go thy way for this time. When I have convenient season, I'll call for thee. He was wanting money. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. Paul says, I'm just as good here sharing the gospel as I am somewhere else. I'll just stay here to keep my money. So Felix sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years trying to get a bribe, Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound in the jailhouse now. Chapter 26, one more time, Paul gets to tell his testimony about how he met Jesus. Chapter 26, verse 10 He's sharing his testimony with King Agrippa, the king appointed by the Romans over the Jews. And he says in verse 10, Which thing also I did? I thought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus at Nazareth, and I did it in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I, he says, I cast my vote. I think he was, by this verse, a member of the Sanhedrin. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even to strange cities. Now we're going to drop down to verse 29 in this chapter. Paul, in answer to Agrippa, Agrippa says, Paul almost 
thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. You don't need the handcuffs. He was in the prison. He was in the jailhouse. On and on. Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 2, page 1280, the very last letter that Paul wrote before he was executed. He says in verse 8, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of, the, of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He says, there's the thing to remember. And in my gospel I suffer trouble as an evildoer even unto bonds. I may be in prison, but the word of God is not bound. You can't fence in the word of God. It won't have it. The next word here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 after prisonments is tumults. Tumults. That's riots. In tumults, that's riots. When was Paul in a riot? Multiple times. Acts chapter 14, page 1168. Acts chapter 14. I've got to get there. Chapter 14. In verse 19, he's giving his word. He's preaching to the people in Lystra, wonderful town. In Lycaonia, the people spoke, and he, they came out to worship Paul and Barnabas, and he said, don't do that. Don't offer sacrifices to us. Verse 19, he'd been preaching there, some, came certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, persuaded the people, and supposing having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. That's a rather ugly thing to happen in a riot. They killed him. We'll talk about that in a bit. In chapter 18 of Acts, in verse 12 through 14, Paul's glorious Christian life continued. When Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, he's in Corinth now. Achaia is the region we generally call Greece. The Romans called it Achaia. And Gallio was the Roman deputy, the governor over their thing. The Jews made insurrection with one accord, but they didn't charge them with insurrection. They let them drag Paul into the front of the mercy, into the judgment seat, brought him to the judgment seat, and they accused him, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Now that's a bad offense, right? According to the Jews, but they're in front of the Roman governor. What was that again? He persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Not sure which law he's talking about. Gallio said unto the Jews, if this were a matter of wrong, or wicked lewdness, O oh, you Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. He drove the Jews away, and all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and right there in front of the judgment seat, they beat him. And Gallio said, see what you get? They cared for none of these things. Gallio said, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Jews. Riots. 
That was chapter 18. And just the next chapter, he's not done with riots. He likes, I mean, he doesn't like them, but they happen often to Paul. In chapter 19, verses 29, 30, the whole city, where are they now? Ephesus, where they make money making silver idols of the goddess Diana, Artemis. And the silversmiths saw that Paul had persuaded and turned away many people, saying, those are not gods which you guys make with your hands. <coughs> and they said, look here, our craft is in danger. The temple of the great goddess Diana will be despised. Her magnificence shall be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. It was a big temple. It was a famous temple. I believe it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, they called it. There was a huge temple and a huge statue of a huge goddess made of men's hands, made, made by men. It was wondrous to look at, but it wasn't a god, it was just a statue. When they heard these things, they were full of wrath, the whole town, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! You know, you can still go to the marketplace in Ephesus, it's a ruin now, and you can stand out in the middle and you can say, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! But it doesn't do any better now than it did then, the whole city then was full of confusion. There's a riot. And they grabbed, because they couldn't find Paul, they grabbed Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, and rushed with one accord into the theater. And Paul says, I'm going to go too, and the disciples wouldn't let him. Don't go into the theater. So there's an assembly that's all confused and shouting and crying one thing and another. And they're going to, let the Jew Alexander, let the disciple Alexander speak his defense, but then they realize he's Jewish, and so for two hours, instead of letting him say anything, they just kept shouting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! And finally, the town clerk, with his gavel, Hey, listen up! And he quietened the crowd and said, you know, this is not a lawful assembly. This is not a court of law. You need to do this lawfully. We are in danger of being called in question for this day's uproar, riot. There is no cause whereby we can give an account of this concourse. And he sent them home. Paul was in riots. In chapter 21, another riot. Chapter 21, verses 30 and 32. He's moving on. What city now? We're in Judea again. We're in the temple. All the city was moved and the people ran together and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple and the doors were shut and they were about to kill him. But the Roman chief captain came. All Jerusalem's in an uproar and they took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them and they, when they saw the Roman soldiers coming, they left beating of Paul. And the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and said, who is he and what has he done? And it's a riot. Some cried one thing, some cried another. That's when Paul got up and said, Captain, he says, you speak Greek? He says, I do. Aren't you that Egyptian? No, I'm not. I'm a man of Tarsus, a citizen of no mean city. And he spoke standing on the stairs in the Hebrew tongue, and that quietened the crowd until he said the word Gentiles, where we've been already before there. Riots. One more place in Acts, in chapter 23, 
he's in court in front of the high priest in Jerusalem, and he sees in verse 6, some of them are Sadducees, the others are Pharisees. He says, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. We believe in the resurrection of the hope and the resurrection of the dead. I'm called in question. When he said so, there was a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. Divided Because the Sadducees say, there's no resurrection, there's no angel, there's no spirit. The Pharisees confessed both. They were kind of fundamentalists. And there was a great cry, and the strives that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, we find no evil in this man. If a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let's not fight against God. And there arose a great dissension. The chief captain, Roman guy, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him to the castle. And that night Jesus talked to him again and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. As thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. And from that point on, no matter how many years it took, Paul had this assurance, I'm not going to die. Jesus said, I get to testify in Rome. I may be two years in jail before I get to go there, or maybe more, but I'm going to Rome to bear witness. He was involved, not by his hand, but in riots. The passage in 2 Corinthians goes on and says, in labors, in labors. That's hard work. Paul worked hard. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 12, his life as a minister involved working, in labor, working with our own hands. He says in verse before that, even till now, we hunger and thirst are naked and buffeted, have no certain dwelling place. I don't have a place to call my home. Labor working with our own hands. What, is, what was his occupation? What did he do to make a living? He made tents, took animal skins and sewed them together. Animal skins tend to come from dead animals. Oh, that's one of those occupations that if you're a Jew and you're in it, you're never ceremonially clean until you have to let a day, an evening go by after you wash. Paul was letting the law go. He worked with his hands. He labored working with his hands. In Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20 and verse 34. Let me get there quicker this way. One more. He says, who's he talking to here? He's talking to the elders from Ephesus. And he says to them, you yourselves know, yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered to my necessities and to them that were with me. And I showed you all things how that so laboring, working with your hands, you ought to support the weak. He says, you're not the ministry like my ministry, I worked so I could feed myself. These hands have ministered to my necessities. And you, I showed you that working the way I do, so laboring, you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. How many of you know where to find that quotation from Jesus in the Gospels? I see no hands raised. That's good, because it's not in the Gospels. It's only here. One of the things that Jesus revealed to Paul 
that he didn't reveal to have recorded in the Gospels. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's how he finished up his message to the elders of Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem. You need to work, take care of the weak in your church. Take care of them. Support the weak. Labors. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, We'll get over there. Chapter 2. He says, Remember, brethren, our labor and travail. That's hard work and pain like a woman giving birth. For laboring night and day, he says, I preached in the daytime, I worked in the daytime and the night. Not because, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel. We worked. We worked. In 2 Thessalonians, the next letter over to the same people, chapter 3 and verse 8, he said, you, verse 7, yourselves know how you ought to follow us. We behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. We were not out of line Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. We're having a dinner, free dinner. Come get free food. We, don't, we didn't eat anybody else's food for nothing, except Publix. <laughs> we wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. God blesses us with bread from Publix, and we can pass it on to the children's home, and it's just wonderful. We, Paul said, wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we don't have power, I'm an apostle, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you, to follow us. Even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. We hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. That's what he said he didn't do. I don't walk disorderly. We behave not ourselves disorderly. There are some that are disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they, W-O-R-K, eat their own bread. <laughs> it's a shame when we have to tell people you're supposed to work, feed yourself. Spoiled? The next thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the next thing after labors is watchings and fastings. Those are both similar words. Watching means doing without sleep on purpose for a spiritual purpose. Fasting means doing without food on purpose for a spiritual purpose. Not because fasting or watching in and of itself gets you brownie points with God, but sometimes you just don't want to be distracted from something that's very important and you need to stay awake to do it. You need to stay awake. You need to just not be distracted by taking time to eat or sleep so that you can accomplish a spiritual purpose. In Acts chapter 20, again, to the elders of Ephesus, in Acts chapter 20, and verse 31, Paul said, Watch, stay awake. That's what watch means. Stay awake. Hey, you back there, wake up. <laughs> Stay awake and remember that by the space of three years, 
I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Stay awake. Watch. There was another time Paul preached all the way until midnight and some kid fell asleep, fell out of the windowsill, crashed and killed himself. And Paul went to him, got him up, got him back from the dead and finished his message. He said, stay awake this time, boy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 5, Paul says to Timothy, I'm leaving. You stay awake. Watch thou in all things. Stay awake. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Know your ministry by experience. Teach it, but not just with words, with an example. Make full proof of your ministry. And fastings. Well, let's glance back at chapter 14 of Acts. Chapter 14 of Acts. This page 1169, verse 23. When they had ordained them elders. This is Paul and Barnabas going back through all the places they had preached, even the ones that had rioted against him. When they preached the gospel in Derby. Then they went back again to Lystra, which is where he was stoned, and Iconium and Antioch and Cilicia, confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, say it's going to be a lot of trouble. And when they had ordained elders in every city and prayed with fasting, they said, we're just not going to eat right now. We're going to just pray. They commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 already, I think. We went through verse 25. Let's look at this uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 27. He, I did read this already. He said, watchings often and fastings often. He just often did without what we'd consider normal things. We get back to this, this chapter 6 passage here and look again what comes next. Whoops, that was not the right button. This is the right button. He says, after watchings and fastings, we have all these things that says by. Everything before there was in, 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 and now we get to by. In truth, in the Greek language, this is still in until you get down to, uh, I wrote it down here, give me a second. The armor in verse 7, that's where the word changes from in to by. But here in chapter 6, six verse 6, and the beginning of verse 7, it's still in. In pureness, in knowledge, in long-suffering, in kindness, in the Holy Ghost, in love unfeigned, in the word of truth, in the power of God, and then it goes to the other word by. Not a huge difference. And the translators were not wrong in saying by because they did translate words that meant the same thing by different words sometimes, so it's okay. That's all right. But we're in, according to the King James text, by pureness. This ministry has an aspect where you need to be pure. By pureness. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Paul exhorts his young 
calls him son in the Lord. He says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in love, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I think perhaps young men and old men alike need to be exhorted to purity. It's one of those words that's hard to define because the only thing you could say about it is it's not dirty. <laughs> purity. Doing right because it's right. Well, the clock is running out on us here in another minute and a half or so. All these things Paul gives as aspects of his ministry, and he's going to go on for a bit longer. But what this ministry was, he explained at the end of chapter 5. And we've talked about this many times. At the, oops, that was a mistake. Hit the wrong part of the thing here. At the end of chapter 5, we have the ministry. In verse 18, he says, he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he says in verse 19, this is what it is. To wit, I want to explain to you what that is. That's what to wit means. God was in Christ. There's the incarnation. God in heaven became a man. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world reconciling the world unto himself. What was in between the Father and the Son, the sin that separated them, the Son took the sin out of the way so that the world could be with him again. The sin of all mankind, he says, he's not imputing their trespasses unto them. But not all mankind goes to heaven. There's a word of reconciliation, the explanation of this salvation that God has provided. He calls the word of reconciliation in verse 20, he says, we are the representatives, we're the ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you, lost person that doesn't know about the payment for sin, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. He already took the sin out of the way, be ye reconciled to God, and he explains it again in verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Just as Jesus said to Nicodemus, God so loved the world, sin and all, that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus took the sin on himself. He died, he was buried, he rose again, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the ministry of reconciliation. God did the work and says we are to present, to explain it. We are ambassadors for Christ. Just the way, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you, we beg you in the stead of Jesus Christ, be ye reconciled to God. He did the work. All that is left is to believe in him. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning's message and lesson. We pray for the preparation of our pastor, that you'll bless it and, and increase the effect of your word because he speaks it with boldness and clarity and bring those who are on their way safely here to be with us and enjoy and share their gifts to build the church, to edify, to add to and build up, strengthen the other believers. In Jesus' name, amen.